Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're continuing our series through Matthew 5. On Through the Eyes of Jesus, it's walking through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that ever was preached. We're walking through it verse by verse, phrase by phrase, word by word, and we come to verse number 5 in Matthew chapter 5 today. And we'll go ahead for the sake of remembering that we're in the context of Matthew 5, verses 1 through 4, read those verses and then camp on out on verse number 5. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain. And when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And here's our verse for today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now right out of the gate, when most of us see the word meekness, we think of what it sounds like, and that is weakness. Meekness is the farthest thing from weakness. In fact, if you're taking notes, it's there in your outline. Meekness is not weakness, but meekness is in fact... Our power, our natural God-given power under His control. Meekness is to be under the control of God. Now, how many of you here have ever gone horseback riding at any point in your life? Let me see your hand this morning. Okay. How many of you enjoy horseback riding? Let me see. A few left. So some of you had a bad experience. When I was growing up in Louisiana, we... We went on a horseback riding trip over the Mississippi line. And one thing that I didn't know about these horses is that they usually have people that they don't know on their back and they let the people think that they're John Wayne and think that they're actually in control of the horse, but the horse actually goes on the trail where it's accustomed to. But then some of you know where this is going. When the horse sees that the trail is ending and that the barn is coming up, what awaits the horse in the barn? Chow time. And horses are in some sense like people. When we're ready to eat, we're ready to eat. And one of the guys warned me, he says, when we come to the end of this horseback ride, be careful because your horse will probably bolt on you. So I was preparing myself And I kid you not, that man was a prophet and he may even have been a son of a prophet. We came around that last bend and that horse saw that barn and it was just like, hello beautiful. And that horse took off towards that barn and I had maybe been on a horse once in my life and I just did the best, I mean, riding I could. Try to remember what Roy Rogers did. Some of y'all didn't know that I even knew who Roy Rogers was, right? Alright, Roy Rogers and those things that we, my mom allowed us to watch growing up that were somewhat wholesome and, and do, I mean, I just tried to hang on for dear life and the horse was probably only going like, you know, 10 miles an hour. But for me, it was just like, I mean, let me loose. I'm a cavalry rider if I can hang on. Now, if you've ever been on a horse before, which I was, I was amazed, we've got some cowboys in here and cowgirls, y'all, most everybody raised your hand. In fact, some of your own horses and that's awesome. But you, you'll notice, even if you haven't been around horses for very, very long, that a horse under the control of the rider has potential for great good. 
back in the day. You could, you could plow with the horse. You can have the horse carry, uh, pull the buggy and pull the cart. And you can ride on the horse. In fact, horse can be a lifesaver, which is why back in the old days and out west, if you were can, caught horse stealing, it was basically a capital offense. Because if you stole a man's horse in some of those areas, it was equivalent to giving him a death sentence. Horses, it's almost like God designed them for people to sit upon. Call me crazy, but it's ama- they're amazing and beautiful animals. But yet, if you get on a horse that is not given control of itself to the rider, a horse that has not had its power under control, there is the potential for great harm. And in the same way, Jesus is just walking through this, 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 this sermon and He's rocking people's worlds. Notice that He's there on, on a mountain, on a hillside, and He's speaking out to this group. And who would have been among that group? Well, primarily Jewish people. And Jewish people had been taught to be very proud of their own accomplishments, right? They had been taught by many of their religious leaders that if they just did the right things at the right time, then everything would be okay. And there were even groups among the Jewish uh, one particularly would be called the, the Scarii, uh, and they would, they would go and they would assassinate Roman leaders. They thought that the kingdom of God, they thought the restoration of Jewish control would come through the military. They really did. So then you have the Pharisees who believed that God would send a Messiah, just like the Old Testament said that He would, but that this Messiah that God would send would be a military conqueror. I mean, that this guy would come in and he would he would push the Romans out of the land and create the kingdom of God here on earth. Well, notice how Jesus begins. People say, well, how does Jesus build this kingdom? What's it all about? Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, unless you come to a point of brokenness, you will not give your life to Jesus because you don't think that you need Jesus. Look at the next verse, verse number 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The world in that time, Jewish and pagan, said, Blessed, awesome are those, powerful are those, happy are those who make the other guys cry because you won and they lost. And then Jesus comes to the most mind-blowing attribute in this passage. Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. Jesus is saying that my kingdom will not be made up of people who are trying to promote themselves, but by people who have come to the end of themselves and have humbled themselves before God. Meekness is power under God's control. If you're taking notes, we've got different angles of meekness. It's very difficult to translate the concept from Greek to English one for one. But here, here are some angles of what Jesus was getting at. Meekness is the positive of being poor in spirit. Back in the, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Think about it. If I am, if I am empty of my own spirit, if I don't think, if I realize that I can't bring any of my own righteousness to God and I can't get to heaven by being good, well, what's the opposite of that? You see, being broken in spirit, that's the negative, but the positive is that I'm focused upon God's power and His holiness. Secondly, you can translate meekness as gentleness of strength. Warren Wiersbe says, it is our attitude towards others that we are teachable and we do not defend ourselves when we know we are wrong. Easton's Bible Dictionary says that it is a calm temper of mind and not easily provoked. Power out of control. Think about wind for just a moment. Wind 
on a, on a hot day, if there's a little bit of it, it cools you off. In fact, you can, you can power things through wind turbine. But wind that is out of control produces hurricanes. And if you've ever lived through a hurricane, you see what type of damage it produces. Think about a campfire. A campfire can warm you. You can cook your hot dogs and your s'mores. And then later you can repent of gluttony. It can, it can warm you. It can take care of things. It can fuel. It can cook your food. But a fire out of control can destroy large aspects. Think of water, for example. Water, you can, you can enjoy a great day on the kayak or the canoe. You can even power things through a hydroelectric dam. But water out of control, not under the control of where it should be, produces floods and destruction and misery. And whether you realize it or not, each one of you have a great potential to be used by God. No amens. Do you realize that every single one of you, regardless of education, regardless of social connections, has the potential to be used by God in a great way? But the question is whether you or I place ourselves consistently under the control of God Almighty. You say, now hold on Jeff, didn't Jesus use force. It almost sounds like he's saying here that we're never to apply any force, never to put ourselves out there. Well, remember when Jesus used force, it was because God the Father was being made to be a joke. I mean, people would come into the church and they were ripping people off in the name of religion. That people would bring uh, doves and things to, to be sacrificed, which is, that's what God said to do until the Messiah came. But there were certain times that, that the religious leaders had this racket and that you couldn't use that kind of money, you couldn't use that kind of dove. It was kind of like, kind of like when you go to Six Flags or King's Dominion, you can stop at any, uh, any store on the way there and you can get a water bottle for like a dollar. You go in, how much is it? Okay, four. We got somebody who remembers. You go into certain places, like really? You go into certain places and because you're there, because you have to operate according to their rules, they jip you. Jesus came into the temple that one time. And remember what he did? He, this is, if you've gotten the Sunday school version of Jesus, kind of the, the, uh, the watered down version of Jesus, this doesn't sink very well. But Jesus actually made a whip and he came, he, he began to turn over tables saying, this is my father's house and it should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Meekness doesn't mean that we don't get fired up about things. It doesn't mean that we don't use force and be strong. But the difference is, the way that you can tell if you have pride or if you have meekness is what do you get fired up about? If you get offended and fired up and, and just hurt and this type of syndrome to the arms fold and they're pulled tightly to the chest and then the lip begins to curl and the eyebrows furrow, just like, who do you think you are? Some of y'all have had arguments like that at work, in your family. When we get worked up about us being offended... That's called pride. When we get hurt and offended and wounded, when God's name is blasphemed, that's meekness. You see, when we come to a point of humility towards like we don't know, we no longer matter, it's no longer about us. We place our lives on the throne of God. There's nothing more to be offended because we have died to ourselves. Remember the Bible says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
The book of Galatians says in chapter 3 that we have been crucified with Christ and it's not long, it's no longer I who live, but who? Help me out, church. But Christ who lives in me. So that means that the things that we get worked up about reveal who's on the throne of our life. But whether we even think that meekness is a good thing or not depends upon who our heroes are. Think about it. During Jesus' time, the heroes were military leaders. There's very little way to make an honest living if you wanted to really do well. You could work your small area of land. You could become a carpenter. But it didn't mean that you were actually going to accumulate wealth. In Jesus' day, it was the conquerors who would come through the city after they had defeated the enemy. And they're there with their spoils of war. And the women, if you could hear the refrain of of David and Saul, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. That was what people looked up to. So in Jesus' time, you could either make a living, do very well by taking the property of other people, or becoming a tax collector and swindling people out of their property. And today, sometimes we have the idea that people who have all that they can have, they go and they get the world. That, that's who I want to be like. Remember when I was growing up, they had the want to be like Mike commercials. Anybody remember that? The Michael Jordan commercials. I want to, I want to be like Mike. Because the way that he could dunk a basketball and the way that he could shoot and the athlete he was, us young guys, we wanted to be that because we valued that. Nothing wrong with being an athlete. Nothing wrong with making money. But Jesus totally turns the thing upside down and Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Most people in Jesus' day, they said, well, the way that you inherit the earth is the way, well, you conquer the earth. You go out and you grab the world by the tail and you just put yourself out there. You work as hard as you can do. You kick as many rear ends as you need to. You make sure that you are in charge, that people know who you are. That's the way that you live your life. That's the way that you get the earth. That's the way that you... Make a name for yourself. But Jesus said the meek, the ones who take their name off of the docket, the meek, the ones who have given up their rights, those are the ones who will inherit the earth. Here's what Richard Baxter said. He was a Puritan. And I quote, There are no virtues wherein your example will do more at least to abate or to lessen men's prejudice than humility and meekness and self-denial. You know one of the greatest witnesses that you can give to someone that you know that doesn't know Jesus is you can ask God to develop meekness within you. The type of meekness that when you're talked about, you don't have to respond in kind. I'm sure there's no one here that enjoys being talked about. Amen? No one here enjoys... Well, maybe some people do. I think that some people may feed off of drama. But not. there's no one here that says, I want to be the one who's on the brunt, the receiving end of all of this craziness. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. They are blessed because they have given up their rights to God because He is their protector. Let me give you several passages that illustrate the concept of meekness. 
Psalm chapter 25, verse 9, the Bible says, He, speaking of God, leads the humble in justice, and He teaches the humble His way. Psalm 37, 11, But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle, or it's the same word, I am meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and meekness. Titus chapter 3, verse 2 says, Speak evil of no man, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all meekness. Unto all men. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, the Bible says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, and meekness. Question. Do you get worked up when things don't go your way? That's a sign of pride. Whereas we, when we become broken over the things that affect God, that's Meekness. Let me give you some examples in Scripture of meekness. Number one, this is from Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot. Now, if you've read your Bible in the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis, you'll see that Abraham was the man. He was the one that God came to and God promised, Abraham, I'm going to send my people through you. You're going to be the one through whom the Messiah comes. Now, he had a nephew there and his nephew's name was Lot. And there was some drama, there was some issue, that there was, there was a little bit of fighting between the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot. And the servants were fighting because they, they wanted the best land. Now guess what Abraham could have done? He could have pulled his ace card. He could have said, you know what? I'm Abraham. God promised me that He would send the Messiah through me. So what that means, Lot, is that you need, just need to get your little self packing because I've got 318 Navy SEALs that I have trained. Go read your Bible. That's why I love the series that was on the History Channel. They actually showed that Abram was a warrior. He was. He trained these guys. These guys were special ops. I mean, he could have taken Lot out. He could have taken everything that Lot had. He had power, you see. He had prestige and influence. But what did he, but what did he say to Lot? He told Lot, he says, you can choose any of the land and whatever you choose, I'll take what's left over. That, my friends, is meekness. It is power under control. Another example would be Joseph and his brothers. Remember Joseph? He was the favorite one and all of his brothers hated him. The dad favored Joseph and gave him a, a coat of many colors. And our students say, if I wore a coat of many colors to school, I'd get beat up. Right, students? But back then it was a big deal because colors were expensive. And he was favored by his dad. He was the one that his dad had his, had his eye upon. But yet the brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. Joseph goes into Egypt. He gets thrown into prison after trying to do the right thing. And then he gets out. And he's second in command of the entire nation. The most powerful nation in that area of the world during that time. And guess what happened? His brothers experience famine. They all come before him needing food. Now Joseph has the upper hand, right? Wouldn't you like to be there? How would that go over on reality TV? You see, we love reality TV because we can look at those people and say, at least I'm not as messed up as they are. 
We can look at them and say, man, I, I'm okay. Compared to them, I feel good. But I think it's, it's funny sometimes that we pay for cable, we pay for it, and we watch people argue. You ever catch that? That, that's one of the things I did. I, I don't get about our culture. Sometimes I can be watching, flipping through the channels, lizard lick towing comes on, I watch it for two minutes, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, and God's like, really, Jeff? Really? Come on. Get with it. And we just watch that stuff. We see that. Imagine how this would have played out. This would have been American culture. Joseph is in charge. And this is the cool thing. He's grown up and he's dressed Egyptian. Alright? They, they, they don't know who he is. And he is there. And he has the opportunity to exact revenge upon his brothers. And his brothers are there. And they come before Joseph and they're begging for food. They're begging. They're before their brother. But yet, what does Joseph do after everything is said and done? If you're taking notes, it's in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 and 21. Beautiful picture of meekness. Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now get this, verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What a picture of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? He comforted them, comforted and spoke kindly to them. He didn't, he, he didn't get worked up because he had been offended because he realized that he was a sinner in need of God's grace. And when we see ourselves as sinners in need of God, in need of God's grace, we're not going to be the ones who act like people are never going to sin against us. And just a newsflash, this is within a job, within a family, within a church. If you think that there's no one who's ever going to offend you, I'm just here, sorry to be the bad news committee, but you will be offended in life. That, that's just the way it is. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make the people who do the offending right. But we can do one of two things. We can live in pride, saying, I'm going to live my life and don't offend me. Don't, 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 don't be, don't make me mad. I want to live my life without any type of drama. That would be great. But guess what? Jesus came and he absorbed every bit of drama and problems and hatred and sin and wickedness and he died for it on the cross and he promises whoever believes in him, he will give them, this is Romans chapter 8, the same power that raised him from the dead in their mortal bodies. What that simply means is that when you get saved, you have the ability to be subjected to the deepest, darkest valley of personal conflict, but yet have the power of God to forgive and say, but if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. Now that's freedom. That's freedom. We could put on the, the helmet of isolation and we could strap our torso with the pillows of I'm not going to commit to anything and try to go through life and be ultra careful that we never get hurt, we never get offended. But guess what? A life like that, it's not much of a life. Amen? Jesus saved us to be risk takers and to be willing to jump in and pull people out of the fires. It says in the book of Jude, snatching them out of the fire, being willing to connect with people who have problems. Another example in the Bible of, of humility and meekness is David and Saul. You remember Saul hunted David like an animal. There was a time to where David was there and, and Saul came into this cave and David and his men were hiding in the cave. And his men were saying, David, 
This is your time. This man has hunted you like a dog. Don't you remember when you were the court musician and you pulled out your harp and you began to play for King Saul? But yet King Saul went into one of his psychotic modes. He pulled a spear and he tried to pin you to the wall. Do you remember that, David? He's trying to kill you. Now! Just one sword thrust, hand behind the head, covering the mouth, take the knife, it will be done, you'll be king, and everything will be fine. David said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And instead, David snuck up special op style and cut off a small piece of Saul's robe. And then when Saul exited the cave, David held up the piece of Saul's robe and basically said, why are you trying to hunt me? I could have taken your life, but I didn't. There was another time where they caught Saul sleeping. And Abishai, one of David's top men, said, let me take my spear and pin Saul to the ground. And David said, I will not do it. You see, David had the power to exact revenge. David had the power to make a name for himself, you see. And business people, every single one of you will be tempted to do things that you know are sometimes maybe even legal, but are not honoring to Jesus Christ. People say, if you just take this one, just, just one sword thrust, just one check, just one way of looking the other way, then everything will be fine. Everybody's going to be happy. But you have the voice of the Holy Spirit inside that says you were saved for something better. Amen, church? You're not saved for the praise of men or for the accumulation of wealth or to try to get circumstantial happiness, but you've been saved by Jesus Christ so that you can lay your head on your pillow at night and have no pillar that is softer than a clear conscience. David and Shimei, when David was leaving the kingdom, he was getting run out of the kingdom by his son Absalom. There's this man, Shimei, who came along the road and began to curse David and throw dust in the air and throw, basically curse David out. The worst imaginable insults in that day and time. And once again, David's top man said, let me go. Who is this dog that he should curse the king? Let me go take off his head. And David said, the Lord has appointed him to curse me. Realize that a healthy dose of the sovereignty of God will allow us to navigate the pitfalls of life. We will be offended. But here's the thing. If God is totally in control of everything, did this person who came into my life who's making things difficult, did that happen while God was taking a nap? No. God is in control. God is not just a God who says, well, I see what they're going to do, but God is in control. He's working everything out together for the good of those who love Him. So here's the thing. When we experience things that make meekness seem like the last thing that we'd ever want to do, we have to understand that God is sovereign. You say, now Jeff, how do I know if I have a lack of meekness in my life? Well, number one, there's a question. Do you always have to be right? Do you always have to be right? There are some people that it doesn't matter if they're wrong, they still want to be right. Do you have to win the argument? Do you have to have the last word with your husband or wife? Do you always have to end the conversation with, that's right? It's not about us being right, it's about bringing glory to God. Number two, another question would be, do you blame other people for your shortcomings and sin? Number three, Do you make excuses for disobedience to God's Word? It's interesting when we all come together in church. um, If I do my job, if I preach this and I teach this, you will be offended from time to time. Y'all okay? 
Alright? Now here's, here, here, here's the difference. It's not me trying to make this say something that it doesn't. But if, if we are what the Bible says, that we are sinners in need of God's grace, and yet we open up God's Word, and we find out how we do need the grace of God, there's going to be what people call stepping on my toes. We're not aiming for the toes. God aims for your heart. And that's where repentance takes place. Another question would be, in your relationships, are you that person that is very touchy? person can look at you sideways and you get offended. You get mad. It's because there's not peace here. Test for meekness. Do you get angry? This is in your notes. Do you get angry when God is dishonored or when you are disrespected? John MacArthur says this, meekness shows itself when you have to seek when you seek to defend God and not yourself. Question. Just something to, to, to inspect within your own heart and your spirit. Do you get angry when you see people's lives that are broken? When we hear, as we covered last week, um, the Bible says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Are we broken over the sin of other people? Or does that not really even hit the radar in our lives? All of us are busy. The question is, is do we get offended when God's name is blasphemed, or do we get offended when we are disrespected? Number two, do you respond humbly and obediently when you're confronted with hard truths in God's Word? We've got a lot of people who come and visit Rocky Mount Baptist Church. God has blessed us in so many ways. And I just want to say a note for the guys who did, uh, Justin Inquist and his crew, the construction up here, they did a fantastic, amazing job. I mean, it's just in the, and Justin and, and Junior and the, the building and grounds team back there, guys, they're doing a great job with that sound booth. These are guys that are giving up their Saturday to serve the Lord. We've got a lot of people who come and just attend and say, I want to check it out. But here, here's the question. Are you, are you willing, are you willing to commit to follow Jesus even if it means that you will hear hard truths about yourself? I'll tell you one thing. The messages that have transformed my life are the ones that were the hardest to hear. It's those messages that it's so heart to heart. It's God's Word to our mind, our heart, that it just seems like nothing else matters, but you're hearing directly from the Word of God. And it's those transformational messages that if we're following Jesus and we hear those hard truths, it may be some of those messages that are difficult to sit through. It may be a passage of Scripture that's difficult to read through. But it is those things that we should be truly grateful for because we should come before the Lord and say, God, I need you to change me. Just because we get saved doesn't mean that it's through. That's where the relationship of change begins. And if someone says, I don't like change, well, then it's going to be hard being a Christian. Because when you get saved, it's the beginning of change. Right, church? To be changed to be like Jesus Christ. Number three, do you make peace or start or encourage drama? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, In lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, a prideful person will try to start drama, but a person of meekness and humility will do their best to bring a fire extinguisher to a fire. Y'all okay? Number five. Are you gentle in dealing with people? The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 24 and 25, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, 
patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Oh, what a thing it is when you have an argument with a person, when you walk away from a person and you're thinking down in your mind and your heart, I cannot believe they are that big of a jerk. Are they not blind to their own pride? Come on, y'all. Work with me now. Y'all acting like you never have that thought. And it can be totally legitimate. You walk away seeing like, really? 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 You said that? You actually think that? Do you, does your, is there a problem mentally? Have, have you, are your neurons not firing? I mean, what's going on? Are you not willing to come to acknowledge your own sin? When we see that in another person, it automatically causes frustration because they're frustrating to us. But the step should be to say, God, help me be broken for the sin of that person. To where it doesn't lead us into anger, into self-righteous indignation, but we would say, oh God, would you help me to kneel down and pray for that person to be changed? You say, now Jeff, Jesus is saying here that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What does that exactly mean? It goes into detail. There's a lot that can be said about it, but if you're taking notes in Psalm chapter 37 in verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is from the Old Testament where Jesus says, I have not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but help me out church, but to, but to fulfill, to live out. And I think one of the most transformational things that you can do in your walk with Jesus Christ is that when you encounter difficult people that just make you want to raise the hand and backhand them. Those people that are so unbelievably frustrating. Their lack of humility and their lack of tact, their lack of love for you and for your family. We should take a step back and say, Lord Jesus, my life has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not a big deal if I'm offended. The point is that you died for that person and you died for their sin. So instead of reacting in self-righteous indignation and instead of folding the arms and having walls come up within family and families and having issues come up with people that we know and you've seen it in your life where people grow farther and farther and farther apart because there is pride. Let humility and let meekness. Let that power come under the control of God saying, Lord God, I don't know how to handle this, but I am telling you that I am giving my power to you, my just life to you. Please help me, God, exhibit the character of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus had everything and that He gave it all to become nothing so that we could have Him. And when we have Him, we have everything.